You've tried washing it off, rubbing, scraping, scratching, and sanding it off. You've even tried grinding, cutting, and burning it off. But still it remains. It's zombie skin. So foreign to your own eyes, you wonder, are you still fully human? Or have you become the contamination? Whether you're struggling with cold sores, eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, chronic rash, or any of the endless ailments we all wish never happen, the antidote is the truly endless repair. Head over to zombielips.squarespace.com to buy the antidote. Become human again. Get yours today. Hey there! Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. Hello, and welcome to episode number 714 of the Wicked Library. Before we get started with today's story, I want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to rate and review the show in iTunes since last week. There were 15 of you, so thanks so much for that. Really means a lot to know that you guys are enjoying what we're doing. And, of course, as always, thank you so much to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. We've had some new Patreon supporters since the last episode as well. You guys are awesome. If you want to see who the cool kids are, you can head on over to thewickedlibrary.com and look at the front page over on the right-hand side below the sponsor images. You'll see a list of all the folks that keep the show free for everyone else. We're almost at our $150 a month level, which means that if you're supporting the show at $5 a month and above, you're going to be getting bonus stories every month. You'll find those over at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. Now, before we get started... Why don't we share a few of the reviews that we got from you guys, the listeners, since our last episode. I'm going to do a couple here, and then we'll have the rest of them at the end of the episode after the interview. So if you don't hear your review here, stay tuned after the interview, and you will hear your review. First, from Who. that's S-I-G-N-E-H-O-W, quality podcast. Don't miss out of this one. This is a wonderful, spooky storytelling podcast, which uses the freedom of time and podcasting to its full advantage. No short, weak stories here. From Finland, Those Who Enjoy Horror Stories by EN underscore N1. A good podcast for people who enjoy other podcasts like Tales to Terrify and No Sleep. Honored to be mentioned along with such great shows. Audio is great and it's well edited. A pleasure to listen. Oddity1985 great podcast that is well produced and transports you into the stories creeping the crap out of you on a weekly basis highly recommended to anyone who likes horror or sci-fi again thanks so much to everyone who takes the time to rate and review the show we'll have some more at the end of the show but for right now let's go ahead and get wicked society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen. Be warned, friends. This episode of the Wicked Library 
is intended for a mature audience. It contains violence, murder, people touching their naughty bits, copious amounts of blood, villainy, and very rude words. If you're up for that kind of thing, then tune in, sit down, grab the popcorn. If not, best to leave now rather than write nasty letters tomorrow. We accept no responsibility for damage to your delicate sensibilities if you continue beyond this point. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Wicked Library is intended for mature audiences only. So if you're not mature, get out. Get out now while the getting's good. <laughs> Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, worlds and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Refreshments by James Johnson. The 1959 Chevrolet Impala purrs down the roadway, leaving behind the quaint neighborhoods on the outskirts of the city. The previous night's rains have cleared the city grime that always managed to coat everything. The Impala's headlamps shine on the highway ahead, while the instrument panel illuminates Mark and Vicky in the cabin. They are on their way to her uncle's farmhouse for the week, a vacation long overdue. Vicky had been after Mark to go since her aunt passed away eight years prior. He'd promised time and again, but something always came up at work. Mark, unlike Vicky, who is employed as a stenographer, is not classically employed. He tells the neighbors that he works odd jobs as a repairman cleaner, and driver. Some of the neighbors may have put Mark's vague skill set to the test if it had not been for the arguments heard from Vicky's inherited house. A man with little regard for preventing his private affairs from spilling into the neighborhood could simply not be trusted to have proper regard for his neighbor's matters. Mark is neither violent nor resentful toward Vicky. He deeply loves and cherishes her. She had, after all, saved his life when they were younger. He had been an ordinary hood, picking pockets and robbing houses, when he met two men moving drugs. Mark began as a lookout, then as a driver. He began packing a gun and shot a man before the age of 20. One night... 
when he was supposed to go in for his first deal, he and Vicky got into a fight. They argued for over an hour, separated, and Mark left. After discovering the others had left without him, he checked into a motel to wait. Afternoon the following day, the crew had still not returned. Mark attempted to call a few of the men and received no answers. That evening, on the radio, he heard that there had been a massacre. Several men found dead in their ransacked motel rooms and their vehicles raised. Mark immediately called Vicky. She had saved his life and, infidelity aside, would never leave her again. It's stuffy in here, Vicky mutters, cracking the window. Mark sighs and adjusts the heater. She had been irritable all day. He had not come home last night, and it was not work that kept him. She always knows the difference, though she never calls him out. Just becomes irritable and sharp-tongued. Glancing over, Mark admires her hair, molten chocolate cascading down across her shoulders so beautiful. He doesn't sleep with other women in order to fulfill some deprived desire. It makes him love Vicky more. A couple of the guys in the new outfit laughed when he'd mentioned the theory. He never brought it up again. The men utilizing his talents for the past eight years were the same crew who had taken out his previous employers. Their operation was massive and had the muscle to prevent encroachment. Beginning with Prohibition, they gained experience through the years and wiped most of the competition out of the city. Only two families truly rule. A few branch-offs and smattering of upstarts keep the spice in life, but he feels safe. Vicky rolls the window up, releasing her seatbelt to remove her sweater. Mark steals a glance as her blouse stretches upward, revealing her midriff. I love you, Vicky. She tosses her sweater into the back seat and rubs her hand on Mark's leg. I love you, Mark, even when I rattle your cage. Vicky makes an amused sound, hand running the inside of his thigh. Maybe, baby. Mark, what's that? Mark looks forward. Two sets of headlights are fast approaching, one with an emergency beacon. Police chase. The two vehicles are nearing at an alarming rate, the lead car unable to hold a straight line. Mark presses down on the accelerator, the Impala responding instantly. His leg aches as Vicky digs her fingers in. What are you doing? Shouldn't we pull over? And be sitting still when that rocket loses control? No thank you. The speedometer climbs through 70, nearing 80. The lead car veers nearly halfway across the center line before swerving back. Mark's foot hesitates on the pedal, leveling out at 87 miles per hour, then shoves it to the floor. The engine screams, needle climbing faster, cresting 100 as the cars come within 50 feet. A matter of one-third of a second, Mark glances over, absently noting that the lead car is a Dodge Coronet. The driver, so intent behind the wheel, has to be on drugs. The car veers again. Jesus Christ! Mark twitches the wheel, 
the Impala leaping away, but the Coronet clips the rear. Mark jerks the wheel back, overcorrecting. The car twists, missing the police-standard 1960 Galaxy Starliner by breaths. Shit. Oh, God, please. Vicky's hand clutches at Mark's shoulder, and the car weaves as he yanks loose of her grip. He twists the wheel back, and the tire explodes from the strain, jerking control for Mark. Stars fill the windshield as the car sails up an embankment. Son of a... Our father... The Impala tips, the ground rising into view. Bitch, who art in heaven? The nose of the car lines up with the ground as it rises from a 15-foot golly. The car crumples into the bank and hangs for a moment before the rear drops with a jarring crash. The trooper stands in the road, dumbfounded. His quarry had wrapped the coronet around an elm and the Impala. A lone headlight shines into the night sky. Dispatch, this is Patrolman Harper. Over. Mark groans, waking to an irregular drip. There is no pain, only the vague recollection that there should be. Panic grips his mind as he lay on the ground. The accident. Am I paralyzed? Vicky. Vicky had taken her seatbelt off. Had they been ejected from the car? Opening his eyes, Mark sits up in utter darkness. Vicky? He waits for a response. There should be voices, engines running, anything. The drip mocks him. Vicky? Vicky! Lights blare, bathing him in the stadium glow. Hello? Who's there? Mark quests shakily. Mark Hampson, we've been expecting you. Please proceed to your left. There will be refreshments. He peers into the light, hands shielding his eyes. Who are you? Proceed to your left. There will be refreshments. Mark twists around. The voice comes from all directions, amplified as if through speakers. Fuck your refreshments. I want answers, damn it. Where's so be it? Mark gasps as pain shoots throughout his body. His limbs contort and thrash independently, pitching him to the ground. Searing pain rips through his chest and explodes in his head. The lights kick off, leaving him silently screaming to the dark. Minutes or hours go by, and the pain lessens, throbbing in time to the damned inconsistent drip. A single bank of lights return to life. Proceed to your left. There will be refreshments. Mark stumbles to his feet, clutching his head. Swaying, he makes his way toward the light. The source lowers as he approaches, or perhaps he's climbing toward it. Even protected by his hands, the light scorch his retinas and threaten to blister his skin. Just as he can't bear another step, darkness 
descends. Opening his eyes, Mark finds himself standing in the doorway of a bar. Smoke meanders lazily above the heads of jovial patrons. Not a seat remains, with as many standing as sitting. After the dazzling floodlights, the dim interior distorts the figures. The back of one catches his eye. Wavy hair falls just below the shoulders. Mark moves through the crowd, mindless of jostled elbows and muttered curses. He grabs the woman's shoulder. Vicky! She turns, revealing an impish face, with eyes set too close together. The mouth, filled with conical teeth of erratic size, spills open. Vicky! Fuck! He exclaims and recoils in disgust. The woman advances, reaching out invitingly. Fuck! Vicky! Fuck! He roughly shoves it away, ducking into the crowd. As he escapes, he notices that the patrons are distorted. Not a trick of the light. Jesus Christ! A fist slams into Mark's face, another into the side of his head. Pain lances his kidney. He collapses to his knees with a cry, blood flowing freely from nose and mouth. Two frightful creatures loom above. One with an elephant trunk and beady eyes set below writhing tentacles. The second with two mouths set to either side of its equestrian nose and wild red hair spread below cracked antlers. Mark fumbles to his feet, the elephant-like creature restraining his enraged cohort. The air takes on a palpable malice as the room swings madly, dropping Mark to his knees, vomiting. Thorny, skeletal hands lift and shove Mark forward, slipping through his expulsion. He windmills into an impossibly obese body. The bar fills with grating laughter, saw blades ripping through metal. Mark squints blearily into the face of the overweight being, its pyramid head set with one onyx eye near the apex, and a feline mouth. Sorrow. Sorrow. The beast hammers Mark's face with a club-like arm. Two needle-sharp claws tear flesh as he twists the door. The tiny mouth splits the Hulk's face. Laughter like smashing rocks in a rusty meat grinder. A large orangutan lifts Mark, glaring with bulldog eyes. With a snarl from its tusked maw, the ape hurls Mark through a back door. The floor doesn't catch him. As up becomes down, left becomes up, and right ceases to exist. He feels consciousness slipping, or perhaps returning. Wake up. Dreams aren't supposed to hurt. Mark awakens in a stark white room, ceiling tiles throbbing with his pulse. A dream? Where? The hospital? The accident? Oh, God, Vicky! Mark jerks upright, panic squeezing his heart. He is on the floor, 
The only furniture in the room, a large mahogany desk, is piled high with papers. A teetering nameplate declares it to be B.Z. LaBubs. Mark stands, and the room, lit by an unseen source, loses what little detail it had. Leaning over the stacks, he spies a diminutive man, balding, egg-shaped head bent over a collection of papers. Uh, the boob? He tentatively queries. The man looks up, one arched eyebrow lifting as dark, narrow eyes pierce Mark's soul. A thin mouth, balanced on a strip of hair running from lower lip to chin, parts ever so slightly in a slick smile, one that knows you better than any lover and that you have come to the right place. His face quickly drops into that of the annoyed and harassed. It's Labub. What? Where am I? Mark asks nervously. Hell. Mark frowns as Labub shuffles some papers. I must still be dreaming. Well, it's time to wake up. Mark Hab... Uh, Hackal... Ah, Hampson. Mark Hampson. How do you know my name? LeBub rolls his beady eyes and mutters, For the cruelty of love. He taps the papers in his hand. This. This tells me all about you. Like when you tortured that cat. Oh, so mercifully killed it. Then desecrated the corpse with firecrackers. The impish man allows a cruel chuckle before continuing. <laughs> Several counts of murder, arson, accessory to multiple murders, indirect child molestation and murder... What? I never... Do not interrupt me, Mark. You sold drugs to men whose addictions grant just cause to perform any dark deed or heinous act to obtain their fix. The bub's brow twitches as Mark pales. Oh, come off it. If you gave a shit, you wouldn't be here. Now, oh my, pages of assaults, adultery, numerous occasions, but with such a finite selection. How dull. I do love your theory, by the way. Deliciously deceitful. How, what... Mark's knees give out and he plops on a chair that was not present seconds ago. LeBub silently goes over the remainder of the sheets, little body shaking with mirth. Such a tough guy. He drops the papers as he says to Mark, Reckless endangerment of that caliber is simply negligence. Thus your death shall be ruled a suicide. But then you knew the risk and you certainly acted the fool. Mark stands angrily, knocking the chair backward. He glares at LeBub, then turns away growling. Fuck you, I'm out of here. Before he takes three steps, a paper airplane bounces off the back of his head. Get over here. Mark stares in shock as his legs move independently, walking him backwards and perform an involuntary about-face. LeBub is glaring from atop his vacant desk, their noses nearly touching. So, you still don't believe me? Not that I actually care, 
But this part is so fun. Labub is suddenly a half-goat, half-man creature. Tiny satyr horns jut from curly hair. He smirks as Mark's eyes widen in surprise. Perhaps something a bit more unique. He changes again, this time into a man with blood-red skin, pointed facial hair, and a trident. Mark's lip twitches with a hint of a grin. Labub wavers, his figure growing. His head elongates and widens into that of a snake's. Large ram horns sprouting from his skull. He growls and backhands Mark, bouncing him off the wall. Terrified, Mark slowly opens his eyes. The room is empty. You've just got to believe me. Oh, Mark, please. My day would be just awful. Oh, whatever shall I do? As the disembodied voice ceases, Mark jerks in unanticipated pain, writhing across the ground. He screams until breathless, then screams silently. Fire in his bowels, acid in his brain, waves of hornets, ants, and scorpions assail his limbs. His body contorts wildly, lungs burning for air. An explosion in his gut sends him tumbling across the room. You sorry, pathetic, filthy, insignificant. Mark's head abruptly ceases to move, a great weight bearing down on his skull. You are dead in my domain. The agony ends and Labub is walking away as he reappears in his original form. He gestures in a vague direction. There's the door. Get fucked. Mark stands, breathing raggedly. I can return to my life? Labub stares daggers at him and snatches him by the collar. His visage grows and lifts Mark off his feet. Why in hell would you want to do that? My my wife, Vicky. Labub sneers. Of course, your wife, Vicky. Pah. He drops Mark and turns his back. Go. Now. How? Labub gestures tiredly toward the door. Walk that way for the eternity of a day. There do the gates await your blessed carcass. Now go. Mark hurries out, glancing anxiously toward Labub. As he fades into the gloom, Labub laughs and it is heard throughout hell. Mark approaches the open gates with confidence. Hell, it turns out, is not nearly as terrible as all the fanatics claim. No lakes of fire, seas of the damned, or eternal repetition. Just a few frightful experiences and a long walk to the gates. A wonder that more people did not just get up and walk out. But then I didn't see anybody else, aside from demons. As he exits the gates, he spots skin and bone twin demons with elongated appendages throwing dice. One looks up, locking its gaze on Mark, spittle oozing through twisted teeth. He feels a tickle in the back of his head, 
just under the skin. Where does fleshless soul wander? Multicolored lights kaleidoscope across his vision as the voice penetrates his mind. Dice. The fleshless soul will dice. Mark reels and staggers into the closed gates. Turning, he sees the teeming souls. A lost, angry, hateful sea. They whisper and shout silently, pointing accusingly through one another. None notice him any more than they do each other. Twisted nails upon protracted fingers clutch Mark's shoulder, digging in when he pulls away. Dice. He shudders with revulsion as the voice undulates across his mind, trailing black, viscous tar. The demon drags him over and shoves him to a squat. Dice. The second demon drops faceless dice into Mark's hand. The shock of their incredible cold causes him to drop them with a hiss. Obscure symbols appear on the upturned sides. Brave, fleshless rolls before stakes. The demon's inky eyes reflect his terrible mirrors, and Mark sees his reflected self writhing. He looks away, asking, What are the stakes, then? Soul. Fleshless. Win. Believe. Lose. Eat. The second demon picks up the dice, rattles them, and casts. Mark tries to read the demon's faces as the dice settle, symbols meaningless once more. Equal roll, fleshless. Fleshless dices. Fleshless knows not rules. The demon scoops the dice, applies a perfunctory rattle, and casts. Both demons gesture maniacally. Throw, fleshless. Only Trump can save. None throw Trump. Mark snags the dice, then drops them, crying out as they burn his flesh. They bounce, and faces appear. The two demons smile broadly, showing an impossible quantity of teeth. The final die bounces and is still. Eyes sprout from either side, and a third splits into a terrible mouth. Fleshless, no! The cannibalistic die falls upon the others, consuming its brethren. The demons huddle together, glaring balefully at Mark. Cheats and swindles like honor matters, pain upon ye, pain forever. Go now, never be seen by us. Pain, pain, pain. Mark falls backwards, body locking as his brain sizzles and pops. His eyes roll up, and everything turns gray. He is standing alone in the gray world. Confused, he begins walking in a random direction. He walks forever and a day. Through the haze of the gray nothingness, Mark becomes aware of a grinding noise. In the distance is an old ramshackle alehouse, and his next two steps stand him directly at its front. 
The grinding comes from a neglected water wheel, rotating, though there is no water. Rough-hewn boards tell the house's age, and a sign above the door depicts a man drinking from the skull of a minotaur. Mark contemplates the scene for a moment, then decides against entering. Given his last visit to an establishment of hell, he is not eager for a second round. He turns and is overcome with an acutely parched throat. What the hell? I have been walking for a long time. What could one drink hurt? He pushes through the door and is greeted by the stares of several dozen grisly bikers. The barkeep, a portly boulder of a man, glowers from the far end. The smell of blood, shit, and cat piss invades his nostrils. Three brawny bikers shove through the doorway, forcing him to the bar. Sitting in a chic 50s stool, Mark waves to the rotund bartender. He and the motorcyclist pointedly ignore his presence. Fuck this. No sooner do his feet hit the floor than a frosty mug appears in his hand. Why would people in hell want ice water when they can have an ice-cold stout? He settles back at the bar, Irishmen clapping him on the back and cheering him when he downs the drink. The womanly barkeep claps and gives him a wink, filling another tankard and delivering it with a generous view down her taut blouse. Another wink, and she's bustling down the bar, leaving Mark smiling into his tankard. Mark? Mark? The voice filters to Mark's ears through a sea of dark berets. Turning, he spies a slight figure in a bad leisure suit pushing through the crowd of crisp three pieces sprinkled with remnants of beatniks. The man finally slithers through. Up close, his suit shows signs of wear and fraying at the hems. Mark, you son of a bitch. Good to see you. Well, uh, hi. Mark feels as though he should be surprised, but it makes sense to see his old partner here. You look like you've been through... Oh, you look like shit, Iggy. Iggy grins and shoves up to the bar next to Mark. I always look like shit. How long you been here? Mark surveys the room. Well, I've seen Mick, Spikers, Hot Rodders, Nazis, and everything in between. The Beatniks have dispersed and the decor has the air of a dinner club where men of respect mingle with wise guys. I entered a frontier watering hole, and now fear I'll leave the site of the bomb. Iggy takes a pull of his beer. So you haven't been here long. Where'd they send you? I'm going home. I just stopped for a drink, Mark says, perplexed. That's so. Yeah, Mark scowls into his pint. Iggy, I can't get drunk. (laughs) It doesn't work like that, Mark. This is hell after all. So, how were things when you left? When I left? When you died. Iggy gives a snaggletooth grin. Oh, well, going well, I suppose. Mateo finally gave out. So all that backhanded bullshit we dealt with is over. The docks are primarily in our hands. Brendan and his drunken louts got deported back to Little Ireland. Oh, the how about that asshole that snitched on me? Mark shifts his weight uncomfortably. Uh, inside guy, 
wasn't able to do much before, well, I died. What about Estefana? You sort that little whore out? Oh, yeah, she got it. Good. Traitorous slut. Betrayal comes so easy to women. But men, we live by an ironclad code of honor. Salute. Iggy slams a sudden appearing shot with one hand, and the other still holding his eternally full beer. How's Vicky? He asks, right eye twitching. Mark can feel the sweat starting on the back of his neck. Iggy had never been this to the point in life. He'd always been the guy for idle conversation and offhand jokes. Well, Iggy rasps. Bloodshot eyes begin to bulge, face taking on a red cast. You fuck him at the same time, Marky boy, huh? Mark? 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 Mark jerks suddenly and looks around. Iggy has a hold on his arm, concern painted across his thin face. Mark, hey, you all right? I guess. Mark shakes his head. Maybe I am getting drunk. The lights dim and everyone begins moving toward the stage, where a spotlight is trained on a black sequined curtain. Oh, yes. Gloria's on. You'll love her, Mark. Gorgeous. Sexy. Iggy drifts with the crowd. We've got similar taste, after all. What? Mark frantically grabs his arm. Iggy! I said she's got a beautiful face to top all. Come on! Iggy, I I can't. I'm... I'm not drunk, Iggy. Relax, Mark. You are. He pulls loose, transfixed. Mark looks to the stage as well-defined legs kick from the curtain. The filmy dress scantily stretched from hips to inordinate breasts. An ocean of black, frothing curls frames perfectly arched eyebrows above alluring eyes. Luscious, wine lips smile as her sultry voice caresses the microphone. Her bare shoulders sway seductively with every beat of her raven wings. Wings? Mark scrubs his face and looks again. The scaled wings enwrap her, talons twinkling as they pull back, revealing translucent nakedness. An iridescence glows from within, pulsing in rhythm to her voice. Mark stumbles backward into an anteater with pointed ears and spider's eyes crowning its head. Fucking hell! He shoves between a fuzzy armadillo with dragonfly wings and a misshapen brontosaur with arms resembling a traffic-jammed freeway. At the door, Mark glances back. Gloria is wearing Vicky's face, crooning to the room of phallic melting candles. He throws himself through the door, stumbling off a curb and onto a rain-slicked pavement. Fuck! God damn shit! Fuck! Mark screams. He stares in alarm at warehouses. How do I leave this forsaken hellhole? You can't, states a voice from behind. An obese, muscular man with stringy hair and yellowed complexion waddles up besides Mark, who asks, What do you mean I can't? I was told I could, and I fucking will. I just can't find a way out. 
the man's hairless brows rise. Oh, exit's over there. A large sausage-like finger points to a clock tower in what appears to be 18th century London, complete with anachronic electric lights. Mark turns back to find the man, warehouses and pavement gone. He mutters a curse and starts down the barren hall. The town is completely devoid of life, though lights burn in every window. The face of the warped angular clock tower shines like a beacon. Mark follows the warped and broken streets, shuddering at feeling watched. The base of the tower resembles a gothic church, though sagging like plastic left in the sun too long. Shouldering aside oaken doors many times taller than himself, Mark knows a terrible dread. The church is a horrible place, one where even the worst would tread lightly. He shuffles forward, cringing. Of course it would be here. Hide it where no one's got the nerve to go. A twisted, godforsaken church. Locating the tower stairs, he ascends through a trap door in the ceiling. The room is filled with a black mist that eddies about his feet. He swipes at the fog, but nothing happens. Casting about, he spies a pale figure passing a dozen feet away. Mark calls out, but the heedless figure bustles on. Mark tracks the figure through the miasma to a door without walls. Opening the portal, it passes into a room filled with black murk. Mark rushes forward as the latch clicks shut. He yanks it open, exposing more of the voluble moss-on-brick landscape. He slams the door and glares at the rolling terrain. Suddenly, clarity floods his mind. Son of a bitch, he grins, turning the knob again. Vicky sits within, tending the fire of their one-room hovel in Western Ireland. Mark sweeps in, embracing her. The door clicks shut behind. Mark? Vicky screams from outside the hovel. Mark sprints out the front door toward Vicky in the garden, screaming in terror at something above the house. At her side, he turns to see an enormous buttocks defecating on their quaint roof. Crying hysterically, Vicky runs. A gunshot rings out and she spills forward. A cowboy astride a terrible warhorse canters up, easily sidestepping Vicky's prone body. Mark gapes in horror. Jesus. Uh-uh. Chastens the steed as he rears up, cowboy collapsing like a ragdoll from its back. Four hooves rest on its hips, while sightless sockets bore into Mark. You can bring her back, you know. Mark falls to the ground. You can talk? The horse whinnies with laughter. <laughs> oh, unholiest. You are one dumb, ignorant asshole. Forsake God, little mortal soul, and she is yours again. Mark stands shakily. That's it? The horse nods, picking up the cowboy. Then I forsake God. The horse's head jerks toward Mark, then begins whinnying fanatically, head tossing wildly. Mark falls over himself, trying to get away. He looks at Vicky in anticipation. He frowns. Nothing happened. 
the horse twitches the cowboy's pants and mounts him rather inappropriately, while the cowboy laughs. What'd you expect to happen? He reaches back, swatting the horse's thigh, and with that, they ride off in tandem. Mark approaches Vicky's corpse cautiously. He gently rolls her over, and her chest expands with renewed life. You're alive. Yes, lover, she pants. Now fuck me like one of your whores. She grabs him by the crotch and pulls him toward her. Fuck me hard now. I'll beg. Please, Mark. Fuck my juicy cunt. Mark smacks her and backs away. What? Vicky, what the... Vicky gets to her knees and crams her fingers into her groin, the other hand holding her face. Mark, you demon. Beat me. Kick me. Come on my face. Her hand moves, exposing the lacerated and bruising cheekbone. Mark. 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 She cries ecstatically. You are not Vicky. Vicky grins maniacally. You want your pay per fuck Estefana? She starts crying. Or that junky bitch Janet? She wails and throws herself to the ground. Mark glances around sheepishly, then kneels beside her. She backhands him with a vicious snarl, and he tumbles out of the plane. No! He cries as winds buffet his face, and the city rushes to meet him. No! Dark shapes flit by too quickly to perceive clearly. Terror clutches his chest, then a pleasing warmth envelops his genitals. The two feelings produce an infinitely large conflict within Mark's mind. Firm hands caress his hips, and he looks down into knowing violet eyes. More hands move across his face. Be at ease, croons an easy baritone. He reels as sapphire eyes pass through his vision, and luscious lips press upon his. Mark knows bliss and surrenders to intense passions. Fiery, acidic pain explodes through his hips and abdomen. His eyes snap open, the figure between his legs, crashing its hips into Mark's, each thrust barbed lightning. The second figure smashes its hips into Mark's face, shattered glass raking his tongue and tearing his throat. He attempts to cry out, but chokes. Magma courses into his veins, searing his blood. They hit the ground, and every cell of his being explodes across his consciousness. Mark is standing, gazing at a most inviting river. Bound by meandering banks of sand, it flows beyond sight. He rushes forward, stripping his clothes and leaps for the cleansing depths. The surface bends, pulling away and he cracks the riverbed with a sickening snap. He screams in agony, arm bone jutting, and blood spurts, pulling at his feet. From above come voices, the frightened and their frighteners. Whimpering, Mark peers around. The riverbanks, soft and slippery, radiate the hateful heat of the sun. Droplets of blood pop and hiss. There is nowhere to hide, as one bank fills with scared men, women, and children, and the other with hitmen, thugs, and guns for hire. They open fire on the defenseless crowd, impossible amounts of slugs and shot rending flesh from bone. Blood sizzles down the banks, and the dead topple in wet smacks. 
Motors roar as a second wave of criminals appear, firing Thompsons into rivals. Men swear, their falling bodies replaced by wives, girlfriends, and even their children. Bugles sound, and thousands of soldiers rush forward, firing muskets and revolvers as they charge their steeds into the carnage. Nausea threatens Mark as the scent of cordite mingles with scorched flesh. Mark, transfixed on the macabre show, ignores the rising bloodline. Every body that dies gushes forth life, filling the ravine. The dead flow into the river, each a hot coal, bringing the sanguine fluid to a rolling boil. The scalding liquid snaps Mark's daze and he lunges for the bank. The thick, bloody current grabs at his limbs, threatening to drown him. He swims hard, every stroke bringing electric pain to his broken arm, the boiling gore blistering his flesh. Scabby chunks break away from the quaggy bank as he struggles for purchase. He grapples the dead, clambering upward. At the crest, he cries out, almost falling off. A hand grips a woman's severed head. The skull caved in. His eyes follow the muscled appendage past the shoulder to a gladiator's lifeless face, contorted by pain and hate. The Roman's opposite arm clutches a Tech-9 machine pistol. Mark surveys the hushed scene. Everyone dead from or wielded a firearm of one style or another. Hun, Greek, Irish, English, Russian, Colombian. All people of all nations from throughout history died horribly on the sands. People he knew and people he had killed. People he had been with when they died and people he had never seen. A small, timid cry reaches from ears further up the bank. Limping, he approaches the blood's edge where the river bends, searching. A gun barrel shoves roughly into the base of his skull. Time to die, you narcissistic, murderous, goddamn son of a whore! His own voice, ten years younger, states coldly. There is a reverberating crack and his head slams forward. His feet lift into the air as he plunges head first into the frothing river. Mark thrashes in wild panic. The simmering fluid had begun to reduce, becoming a viscous, coagulating gel. He strives for the surface, lungs aching, pulse pounding. He can feel it just beyond his fingertips. Summoning every ounce of strength, he propels upward. Hands break the scabious surface, flailing arms sending globules flying. He rakes the crust, head bursting forth from the slobbery water. Stumbling, he catches the rounded edge of the dish. The water is fetid with drool. Mark swings his legs over the rim and slides down the outside of the pet bowl, retching on the gravelly surface below. Spluttering and wheezing, he observes the gloom. Stalagmites tease stalactites to his right, to his left, daylight. Real, honest sunshine beckoning from just around a gargantuan boulder. Forcing his tattered body up, he crawls toward the light. Near the boulder, he hears a thunderous rumble. Goose flesh ripples up and down his arms. He grabs at the boulder. Coarse, scaly hair fills his hand. Lightning quick fangs snap 
and a roaring snarl splits the air, knocking Mark against the cave wall. Above, six fiery eyes glare balefully. One head snarls as the opposite gnashes its teeth. The middle bears its own low growl rumbling. Mark Hampson, the growl intones. Sinful syndicate scapegoat sent straight and soaking to travel the tepid terra. Terry today, teeth tempted to tear. The heads lower threateningly. Mark trembles. He glances toward the light. What? Leave, lech. Lest lust lure loyalty to lies. It booms menacingly. Quickly, canines crave crunching cartilage. Mark sidles out toward the light. Why are you letting me go? Outstanding oaths obeyed. Obnoxious one. Obstensibly outside of occupation. Mark frowns at the beast, but a voice in his head demands he shut up and run. He mightily hobbles for the opening. Mark bursts from the door of the Broken Wing adult bookstore and arcade. He stumbles on the sidewalk, staring dumbfounded. Horns blare up the road where Saint Street meets Marine Street. The autumnal breeze sends trash skittering down an alley where a skeezy pimp smacks his sodden whore. There is a foul pulse that can only be felt in the scuzzy back alleys of a living city. I'm back, he laughs nervously. I'm back, he whoops. The people along the grimy walk glance, then ignore him. Except for one. A tall, thin figure, cut in black attire, with long white hair, is smoking a rolled cigarette at the corner of the bookshop. Mark is unable to make out the eyes from the shadow of its low boulder, but he can feel them. He shakes his head violently and looks around, laying a plan of action. I gotta find Vicky. His eyes fall back on the figure. Something about it. It flicks the cigarette away. It's only a movement, but it whispers loudly into Mark's head. She's dead. She died that night. Dead. He knows at once it's true. The figure nods. The knowledge staggers him like a blow to the gut. He slips off the curb and lands hard on hot pavement. No! Mark panics and starts backing away, the pavement sticking on his hands. The figure reaches out, arms sweeping gracefully. Mark's mind registers a far-off inhuman screech, then white-hot pain explodes in his skull. The driver runs around the car, screaming at Mark. You stupid damned asshole! The black figure steps over Mark, passing the driver as though he does not exist, and becomes one with the crowd. Mark groans, waking to an irregular drip. There is no pain, only the vague recollection that there should be. To his left, a single bank of lights comes to life. Panic grips him as he lays on the ground. Proceed to your left. There will be refreshments.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. Stay tuned for an interview with the author after these brief credits. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the show coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. The Wicked Library is sponsored by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. Brought to you by a team of storytellers and whiskey lovers, they bring culture to life through storytelling every week. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com and, of course, in iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Also sponsored by Zombie Lips. They make the antidote for the human condition a topical application that cures eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, the endless ailments we wish never happened. Get the cure at zombielips.squarespace.com. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com, which is R-O-D-E.com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Complete credits and full show notes can be found at thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Don't forget to rate and review the show. And now, an interview with the author. Um, so, welcome to the Wicked Library, dear James. Dear James. Thank you for having me. <laughs> And for those of you listening in, this is James. You want to be called Johnson here? Um, you know what? I published this particular story as Johnson, so sure, why not? Cool. James Johnson, everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hello, everyone. As is not surprising, there are lots of us who have random names for the internet. Mine is Jeanette Andromeda. That's my internet name. So the first thing I wanted to ask you about was just about your writing and you as a writer just a little bit beyond what we just heard in There Will Be Refreshments. I've never considered myself a writer. Um, I just, I, I really disliked um, English class. Hmm. Um, anytime there's a writing thing, it just, you know, I either didn't like it or it would just upset me because I was like, you know, I can't write. What is this? <laughs> um, in college, I 
ended up my um, English one class was uh, filled with high school students. I was the oldest one in there, and I, was, I decided I was not going to let um, a bunch of high school kids show me up. I was I was 24 at the time, so I'd been out for six years, mm-hmm. and so I decided to apply myself. And huh, who knew when you apply yourself to something, you might find out you're good at it. <laughs> um, so since then, I just um, you know just kind of like dabbled writing a little bit here and there and then um, back in 2010 I think um, Alex and I had um, we've been kind of working on comics together and I found myself tending to write them you know I had story ideas and as it turns out it takes longer to draw something than to write something uh-huh. <laughs> who knew so I started just kind of working on things as we would go and I had, you know, little bits and pieces that would pop up, little side comics I thought would be fun. Um, one of them we actually did start illustrating, um, in addition to the one we were already working on, poor Alex. Um, but uh, <clears throat> then we, we moved from Toledo, Ohio, back to the West Coast, where I'm from. And... In doing so, I put, ended up putting myself in a situation where I had I couldn't find a job, I had copious amounts of time on my hands, and you know, it booked me for a while, and then I was like, you know what, I need to at least do something with my extra time, and so I was like, well, I'll, you know, I should write, you know, I'm not a very good artist um, compared to Alex, and so I just started writing anything and everything just if it popped in my head I'd write it down nice um, and then with there will be refreshments I was just I had started writing that in Toledo um, actually got kind of inspired for it by uh, uh, I think it's Manson and Sneaker Pimps off of the Spawn soundtrack Long, Long Hard Road Out of Hell and it wasn't going to be quite like the, the main character was, was going to be a little more likable but then I decided to just make him somebody who just wouldn't, you know, you don't want to feel bad for him, but at some point you kind of do. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I think eventually um, he did become uh, kind of sympathetic because I, I, I actually, I know exactly the moment when I was like, oh, this poor guy. It was when the river turned into a scabby crusted over viscous fluid of some sort I had actually bookmarked the section because it just was so <laughs> it was so gross I was like oh this poor guy it was at that moment when he was stuck in the river of awful <laughs> yeah that's um I actually I haven't I hadn't read it in a while because um, I think I actually finished it back in 2012 and I've read it once since then so I picked it up last night and was just like I you know, figured refresh myself, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's gross." <laughs> and, you know, and and to make matters worse, is I can still picture it exactly the way I had it in my head. And yeah. So I'm I'm like reading it, and I'm just like, "Oh my god!" I'm glad I didn't like describe it to the point that it actually wasn't my head, because I don't think anybody would finish the book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was pretty gross. I could just, I think you did just enough justice to what I what. I don't know. You didn't have to describe it all the way. What was popped into my head was pretty nasty. <laughs> well, good, good. So, it's, um, it's, it, 
it's it's definitely something I try to keep in mind when I'm uh, when I am writing is like you know what whatever will pop into your head is probably worse than any picture that I can paint into your head. <laughs> so good. I'm I'm glad you found it disgusting. Yeah, it was it was nasty, and it was it was kind of funny too because um, as far as like the character went, how even at the beginning. He was still kind of likable, even though he was just a total scumbag. And it was really obvious how much of a slime ball he was. But um, just because of his, like, moral approach to <laughs> adultery, it's kind of like, well, I can almost see it. It's almost like an open relationship, except you're not being honest about it. So, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, open relationships tend to require, you know, at least... Um positive agreement on both ends yeah exactly instead of just one saying and whatever it's fine i i enjoyed that aspect about his about his personality because it took him from just being like a general scumbag to being just interesting enough to make the journey that we went on with him like really engaging good good i um it, it was one of those things i wanted to paint him as just you know, I wanted him to be a bad guy, but I didn't want him to be, you know, to the point where you didn't care that he got, you know, that he went through hell. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so I'm 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 glad that that um that, that kind of caught. It definitely did. Um, did you draw on any specific in- inspiration to create this character, the story? Um, you know. I, during initial concept, I may have. Um, we had probably, actually, we had probably recently watched, um, oh shoot, Ray Liotta, Goodfellas. Because oh. um, I think, because actually, um, at one point, I referenced like, um, like the the junkie bitch Janet, which I think Janet might be um, the name of the of um, Ray Liotta's character's mistress. Nice. <laughs> or I'm making it up one of the two. <laughs> could be. I'm not as familiar with Goodfellas. So you could tell me that there was a horse race, and that's why you added the horse at the end there as well. And I'd be like, oh, wow, I don't remember that. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Just um, trust well, me on this. <laughs> I, will, I, I will forgo telling any lies, but... <laughs> But to the best of your knowledge, that may have been <laughs> a callback. It, it could have been. It could have been cut. I mean, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's in the director's cut. Hey, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what's your preferred method of writing? Like, some people love notebooks. Some just like type it all up in Evernote. I'm curious, what's your process? Um, I used to I used to type because it it seemed to me you know why write it down and you know waste of paper but I would find myself when I was typing to you know anytime I you know I'd start typing fast I'd get spell check errors and all that stuff and then I'd want to go back and fix them and that breaks the flow so I um, that and you know I didn't have a laptop for a long time I didn't like hauling a laptop around with me all the time so I just was like you know what there's a reason why there's paper and notebooks and <laughs> So I just, you know, stick a notebook and a pen in a bag and haul it around with me, you know, 
at least to jot down ideas, if not actually just sit down and write something that pops in my head. Nice. So do you do you do a lot of writing just kind of out and about? Like or do you still kind of do a lot of it at home? Um until recently, well, say recently it's actually it's been it's probably been over a year now i haven't done much writing um out and about i used Mm -hmm. to when i had a single workplace um i would always take a notebook with me and um three jobs ago i worked at a liquor store and i would ride my bike there it's like five miles away Mm -hmm. and i would you know take a notebook or a pad of paper you know anything with lines and i'd get there early so I just, I'd sit, you know, if it's dry, if it, if it wasn't like pouring down rain, I'd sit outside and, you know, just write whatever I was working on at the time or write notes for other things if I wasn't inspired to work on that. Um, and then do the same thing on my lunch break. And I, um, you know, and then sometimes I'd come home and I'd write more, especially if I, you know, if I was just kind of really in a moment and ran out of time, come home and just like, you know, Hi, babe. How are you? Da da da. And right. <laughs> um, and then my next job, I was cleaning houses. That doesn't exactly give you a whole lot of time to write before work or anything. Um, I'd still take a notebook with me because if I got to a house early, um, you know, I'd just sit in my car and write a bit. Um, but now I deliver food, and there's not much time to write although I did actually just the other day um, I had some time between delivery shifts and I actually took some stuff with me and wrote I was, it was actually it was kind of fun and so I've left the stuff in my bag in case you know I have that time again to do it nice so you you spend a lot of your writing time just on any borrowed minute you can find um yeah, uh, <laughs> especially especially since I've kind of switched to um, drawing my my own comic. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, drawing takes up a lot more time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to cram as much of my drawing time um, into the hours before I go to work because usually then I'm, it's a little easier for me to focus. Once I get home from work, it's a bit more flippant. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really I do kind of still just you know like oh I've got you know I got like five or ten minutes here let's uh, let's read over what I had oh yeah that was actually pretty good let's just change that and write and then you know I'll look at the time and be like oh now I'm five minutes I'm running five minutes later <laughs> and time goes oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, now that you're also drawing your stories out has the process of drawing them as comics changed how you approach each story? It's starting to. Um, <clears throat> the uh, I'm still kind of trying to figure it out because it's such a different beast than um, you know, writing something that you know, you have the intent of putting into a format strictly to be read. Um, you know, it's and in some ways I actually kind of shoot myself in the foot on this because <laughs> I, I tend to be far less descriptive um sometimes i'll be a lot more vague on dialogue because i'm like you know oh well you know it's I'm not sure exactly how i want to do that and because i don't want to write out this beautiful description and then be like i can't draw that what the hell was i thinking 
And so I'll be a bit more vague about it, and it's um, it becomes difficult later. You know, it'll be a couple of months since I wrote something. By the time I actually get to drawing that part, and I'm like, I don't even remember what was in my head for that. Mm-hmm. I should have at least written, you know, a couple of descriptive words. Um, and then on top of that, I've actually rewritten several parts because as you, you know, as you draw everything out. You'll, you know, you'll erase a face like a dozen times and you'll finally get it right. But you're like, oh, but they look way too happy to be delivering that particular line. <laughs> and so then you have to go in and you rewrite like, you know, a portion of the story. So there's, it really has messed with the way I used to write. Because it used to be a, like kind of a free write and then go back and edit and cut and paste and etc. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of... Um made it a little bit more like a a longer edit time frame rather than just like it's out I edited it it's great so that makes yeah. sense because the art's gonna change things especially in a comic because it the comic the uh, the artwork is such a huge part of the storytelling too you know like you said that facial expression makes a whole world of difference when you're marrying the two together it does it does it's really hard to you know have somebody you know quote some dark dismayed line when they look all happy sunshine (laughs) (laughs) or you can use that to your advantage too and then it's like hey little girl why are you in this dark place looking so happy telling me the world's gonna end uh very true (laughs) context it's fun (laughs) (laughs) um so what kind of themes do you like to draw from in your stories Sometimes that can be quite um, spurious. Um, the uh, when I did, there will be refreshments. Um, that was just, you know, um, I decided to do something that was, you know, because it was inspired by the long hard road out of hell thing. I was like, it's got to be very, you know, hell like. It's got to be very random and weird in the less sense, you know, each portion makes to the previous, you know the closer it is to what I feel like hell would be like. Um, but I put that story into a little collection of um, short stories and oddities. And some of those would just be um, just kind of pulled from like the most random things. There's one that's in there. It's like maybe a page long, um, just super quick short story. Um, I just, there was just this, like, white, uh, like, Chinese dragon on somebody's shirt, and I was just like, you know, it was one of those, it was one of those really cool moments where just all of a sudden the entire story just popped in my head. Um, this is while we were at a con, so I was just like, um, sat, you know, like, sat down real quick and just started writing, and I was like, I hope nobody comes to the table for the next, like, five minutes. <laughs> um, and then with my comic stuff, it's been... I kind of liked what I did with There Will Be Refreshments. You know, I, I kind of liked, you know, the exploring the, the dark aspect. Because I've always, I've always been a little bit queasy about horror movies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with this one, I've actually decided to kind of try and keep it sort of narrowed in. Um, and I, I finally, I think I'm finally starting to figure out a theme. And um, the theme with this one, what I'm kind of pulling not letting your belief system control you, which is kind of revolving primarily around religion and in that aspect, primarily around Christianity because it's the one I'm most familiar with. 
That makes sense. <laughs> um, you know, I can't I can't say a whole lot about like Buddhism because you know, outside of just sort of you know the golden rule aspect of it and karma, that's all I know, and that may not even be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> it's what you've you've taken as what it means to you. One last question I wanted to ask you was, um, what do you find the most challenging about your own writing or a specific story that you really struggled with that came out just stellar that you were really proud of? Well, there's, there's, there's a couple, couple things here. I guess really actually just, um, actually completing a story and, um, like just putting it into at least you know at least friends and family's hands to just kind of read mm-hmm. um like that um like that's that's the most rewarding part of, of, of doing it and in a way the most challenging because at that point you're just like okay well you know i could i could just write this and like hide it away and no one can ever have to read it but here read that let me know what you think <laughs> Um, which is, you know, which is cool because I, I do have quite a, quite a few supportive people around me. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's, it, it has helped in just going out into that, but, uh, you know, then it's, but then you take it to like the cons and stuff and it's like, yeah, here you go. Uh, Read it. Enjoy it, please. Try to. <laughs> um, so yeah, so really, that's kind of the most challenging part at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, initially it would just be just actually just writing it, but then I either read somewhere or somebody told me just you know, well, just you know, just write it. You never have to put it out there. You can if you just write it down, you can turn around and burn it if you want to. But mm-hmm. at least you did it. That's true. So it's. That's kind of kind of what I've stuck with, and I've actually kind of taken that and applied it to a lot of various aspects of my life. It's, you know, you won't gain any experience or knowledge unless you just, you know, put yourself out there. You may get burned, but at least you have a scar to talk about later. <laughs> That's right, and then and then you're infinitely more interesting for having experienced something. <laughs> true. This is very true. <laughs> So, James, where can people find more about you and your work online? Um, crazedpixel.com. That's C-R-A-Z-E-D-P-I-X-E-L.com. Um, covered with uh, my stuff and Alex's stuff. Um, there are, if you go there and you click contact, you can find a few various other avenues. Um, if you are into e-reading, you can find there will be refreshments um, on Kindle, and um, actually, probably around the time that this gets released, I'll probably hop on there and actually make that um, do a little giveaway for the first few days. Nice. So, you know, nice little correspondence. Read along, if you will. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, guys, if you're uh, listening now, go hop onto Amazon. We will have that link, all of these links, in the show notes on thewickedlibrary.com. And go grab a free copy of There Will Be Refreshments. And thank you, James, for coming on the show. 
I think that's all I need to say. <laughs> I'm efficient. Well, thank you again for having me. It was, um, you know, I, I don't want to break the facade here, but I was a little nervous. <laughs> You, you didn't show it at all, actually. <laughs> you did really, really well. <laughs> well, you know, it helps to be able to, you know, sit in a room. And um, I was actually tempted just to do it in my bathrobe, just because it's nice and toasty. But, you know, I was like, I can at least try and pretend like, you know, <laughs> somebody might see me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think in the Wicked Library specifically, you could totally show up and just chill in the basement in a bathrobe. It would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> From Jedi Buffy, enjoyable for horror fans. I listen to a lot of horror fiction podcasts. While this is not my favorite, it's among the better ones, in my opinion. As with all fiction podcasts, the stories can be hit or miss, and a lot of this will depend on personal taste. The audio quality is good. The narrator and the host is good. There's an interview with the author after the story, which I usually don't listen to, but it's a nice feature. Four stars. So, honest review. I appreciate it. Uh, we love the five-star reviews, but, you know, um, I understand, and I think it's honest that there are things on here that are personal taste. We do work hard to try to have a lot of different variety, and not everything is going to appeal to everyone. But the goal is to make sure that at least the quality of the show, the quality of the stories, and the production is at a very high level every week, regardless of whether or not the story may be one that you'd pick yourself. Ariany, A-R-Y-E-N-I. Best Horror Fiction. I am recovering from neck surgery, and these spooky stories absolutely help me pass the time. I'm giving the show five stars, as should everyone who enjoys the awesome entertainment provided by these talented people at Society 13. So Society 13 is the podcast network that we are a part of as the Wicked Library. It includes the Wicked Library, the Abercast, Ninth Story Podcast, The Lift, the Queens of NC-17. History Goes Bump. I could go on. Just a Story Podcast. There's a bunch of them. So that's our network that we are a part of. We at Ninth Story Studios create Ninth Story Podcast, The Wicked Library, The Lift, and Listen. The other shows on Society 13 are created by other talented podcast creators. You can find everything over at society-13.com. Oh, back to the review. Mr. Foytek, you are the best horror fiction host out there, and I really appreciate all that you do. I also love the crossovers with Victoria at The Lift. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much for that. Tara underscore 83. Great creepy podcast. I enjoy every episode. Great production and storytelling. One of my favorites. That's from Canada. Thanks so much for that. Popsy Mom. Best way to get housework done. Well, there we go. Wicked Library makes cleaning house go by in a flash. I plug my earphones in, and by the end of the episode, I have a cleaner house, chills down my spine, and a slight fear of cleaning down in the basement. Well, we can't help you there. Librarian might be down there waiting for you. You never know. Why to Trey 000. Love, love, love. Keep up the good work. I've a couple of horror podcasts, which is really all that I listen to, and this is in my top five. I look forward to listening to an episode whenever it downloads on my phone. The voice acting, music, and stories are all great quality. The way you sit down with the author and ask for more insight on the story is amazing. Keep it up for many more years. Joseph Bridge. Great sound. I just found this podcast through the lift. 
I am loving the ambiance in every episode. The readers and audio are really great. Keep up the good work. Thanks for that. Sarah Nay, excellent. If you love horror podcasts, you should listen to this. The Wicked Library is amazingly awesome. I love the horror. Well, we love you. Thanks so much for taking the time to rate the show. Alchemist underscore light. Deliciously fun. A must listen for all horror fans. The librarian will keep you coming back for more. Once you check in, you can't check out. It's like the Roach Motel, except, well, better. Cosmic Horror 96, best of the best. Definitely gets me through the day at work. I'm glad to hear that we can help there. The voice acting is superior and the stories are curated expertly. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate that. Parker Housewife, great stories and storytellers. I'm impressed by the professionalism of these artists, and I look forward to every new episode. Subscribe and give them five stars. They deserve it. I don't know how to pronounce this. Use de plouge douche 25? I murdered your name there. Es touche de plouche 25. I always feel terrible when I can't pronounce something. Stellar. Sometimes the actor and the character are of different genders, something that can invite further suspension of belief or demand more from the actor. That aside, the intro is campy fun and the interviews are fun and interesting, but the true value is in the story and the stellar work the producers do from selecting the stories to the production of the readings. One of the best podcasts. Amazing and creepy from Laura VA. This show is fantastic and it introduced me to Victoria's Lift. Keep up the creepy work. P.S. The show helps me run just a little faster with the adrenaline it pumps into my fears. Well, awesome. Cleaning houses, getting in shape, getting people through their workday. That's what we're all about here at the Wicked Library. If you'd like to hear your own review right on the show, just rate us over at iTunes. It's real simple to do. You can go to the website, which is thewickedlibrary.com, and click on the iTunes button. That'll take you over to iTunes to rate and review the show. Or if you're listening on iTunes, which 75% of you are, You can just rate the show right there. So once again, thanks so much to everybody for listening to the show. We will see you again in two weeks. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier to see what's waiting for you in the basement.